You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Lee Wong. Well, hey, tribe. My name is Lee. I'm one of your tribe teachers. And uh, today, Pastor Doug, our lead pastor and I, we have teamed up to hit you with that one-two punch. Pastor Doug will be out in just a few minutes. But on behalf of the entire tribe, happy Easter, first of all. And we are thrilled that you have joined us as we all join 2.3 billion other people around the world to continue a 2,000-year-old tradition of celebrating a most unique occasion. Jesus's resurrection from death and burial. Now we celebrate Jesus's resurrection because he eventually ascended into heaven and he promised that his spirit would indwell us. So even when it feels like we're alone physically, we are never alone. God is always with us. And we celebrate Jesus's resurrection because it means that he has power over even death. And because he has power over even death, we no longer need to live enslaved to fear about anything. And Jesus's resurrection, it means that depression and other diseases, they won't ultimately determine our destiny. And we don't need to feel defined by our worst mistakes or defeated by what's been done to us because this life is just gonna be a blink in the eye of eternity in Jesus's peaceful presence. And so no matter our circumstances on this earth, in this life, we can have hope for our futures and we can persevere in our grief in knowing that we will one day see our loved ones once again. These are just a few of the many reasons why we celebrate Jesus's resurrection and why we can have hope in the life that Jesus promised that we can experience in him, which Pastor Doug will talk about in just a few moments. But there is just one problem with all of this. And that problem is perhaps a problem that you have long wrestled with if you're exploring faith in Jesus. And that problem is this. I personally have never met anyone or known anyone who has died and later come back to life. And statistically speaking, admittedly, 100% of the people that I've known who have died, unfortunately, have stayed dead. And I'd wager a lot of money that the same is true for the vast majority of us, which makes it really difficult to believe that resurrection from the dead is actually possible, which makes it hard to believe that we can trust anything Jesus has to say. And so what Pastor Doug and I are going to explore with you over the next couple of minutes are these questions. How do we know that we're not celebrating a 2,000-year-old legend or lie for that matter? And how can we be sure that Jesus was actually raised from the dead? Well, in order to answer those questions, we need to establish a baseline as, as to what you and I could and should believe. So here's what you got to know. Academic researchers who've devoted their entire careers to examining the authenticity and the validity of the ancient documents that we call the New Testament scriptures, credible historians, and not conspiracy theorists with a mere opinion, but credible historians, these folks would agree with what historian John Dixon concluded in his book, Is Jesus History? Here's what Dixon concluded. He said, 
historical analysis can lead us to the confident judgment that the New Testament provides us with good testimony about Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is history. And so our baseline as to what you could believe and as to what I could believe is this. Jesus existed and you can trust what the scriptures teach about him. Jesus existed and you can trust what the scriptures teach about him. All right, so y'all read this with me one time on the count of three. If you're listening via podcast only, y'all listen with intention, okay? So here we go on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus existed and you can trust what the scriptures teach about him. Now, if like I do, you approach faith with a lot of skepticism and you're not yet convinced that you can believe this, I totally, totally understand. And so if you want to walk through more evidence about Jesus's existence and uh, you want to explore why you can believe in Jesus, make sure you participate in a future fireside gathering that you heard about in the announcements in a future Jesus 101 fireside. But at least for today, our baseline is Jesus existed and you can trust the New Testament scriptures. And since we've established this truth, we can now explore what is perhaps the most significant question that you and I can ask and answer in our lifetimes. And that question is this. Was Jesus raised from the dead? Because if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then all of this is in vain. Our celebration is just a lie and we'd be wasting our time. In fact, I'd be wasting my life in a profession that's founded upon Jesus's resurrection. And so was Jesus raised from the dead? Well, one of the many reasons that I've come to be persuaded that Jesus was in fact raised from the dead. And one of the reasons why I hope that you will just tuck in your, the back of your mind, make mental note of is because of how Jesus's own family regarded him and regarded his teachings. And the way that Jesus's own family regarded him is a lot like this scenario with my siblings. And so here's what I want you to do as I tell you this scenario. As I give you this scenario with my siblings, I want you to consider your own relationship with your own siblings. And if you're an only child, think about maybe your next of kin or your closest cousin or maybe even a best friend instead. And so here's the scenario. At this point in our lives, my siblings and I, we get along really well and we have no drama. Our relationship is great. But if one day I started on various social media platforms teaching that the creator of the heavens and the earth had entrusted me with all power and authority and sent me to earth to invite all people to join his parade and that the only way that you would ever experience eternal life in his presence is by declaring that I am God of your life. Well, my siblings at first would think that it was just a terrible joke. And then as my popularity started to grow, they might start to feel concerned. They would feel concerned for me and for my future that I would destroy any potential future opportunities for work. And then they would feel angry with me that I was misleading all of you guys. They might call 
my parents and say, hey, look, we know Lee has always been the weird one in the family, but right now he is displaying some really interesting antics. I feel like if he's not on drugs, we probably need to put him on some kind of drug, some kind of medication, because I think he's got some multiple personality disorder or some sort of mental health issues. Lee is not well right now. We need to intervene. And then they would be concerned that by association that I would probably bring some unnecessary drama in their lives. Now, put yourself in my sibling's shoes. If your sibling, your cousin, your best friend started to teach that they were God in human form, what might you think about them? How might you feel towards them? You'd probably roll your eyes and think, how can anyone believe this idiot, right? Well, the way that you might roll your eyes and the way that you might be concerned about your sibling's antics, it's similar to how Jesus' own family viewed him. They thought that he had lost his marbles and they sought to put an end to his ministry. Here's what New Testament author Mark recorded about this. When his family, Jesus' family, heard about his growing popularity, they set out to restrain him because they said, he's out of his mind. And a crowd was sitting around Jesus and they told him, look, your mother, your brother, and your sisters, they're all outside asking for you. They want you to put a stop to this teaching. Now, back to the scenario of me teaching that I'm God in human form. Imagine that I went to, on my Mexican side, so I'm half Chinese, half Mexican, I went to a family gathering among all my tias and my tios and my cousins, and I began to preach to them that they needed to follow my teachings and they needed to imitate how I live life. Y'all, I, I don't know how it is in your culture, but my Mexican relatives would not play that with me. They'd be like, Lee Anthony, I used to wipe your nalgas and you're trying to tell me how to live my life? And they might even say, wait a second, wait a second, wait. Aren't you Letty's son who used to be afraid of the kukui? You couldn't even go down the dark hallway by yourself? And I can hear one of my uncles, can you believe this guy? And this is similar to how Jesus' extended family in his hometown of Nazareth reacted to him and his teachings. In fact, they even went for the jugular with Jesus and they remarked how they weren't even sure that Jesus was a part of their family because they didn't even know who his daddy was. And so they didn't regard him as family. You see, instead of referring to Jesus as they would of Jesus' siblings and as was customary in their culture as Joseph's son, they referred to Jesus merely as his mother's son, as if to say, Jesus, you won't even get any of Joseph's inheritance because he's not even your dad. And you want us to believe that all things are entrusted to you? You got to get this fool out of here. Mark recorded it this way. They said, isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And so they were offended by him. And so Jesus's eventual crucifixion and burial, it would have punctuated for his family what they had believed all along about him. And because Jesus's antics, it would have brought shame upon the family's name and put them in jeopardy of being excommunicated. And it would have impacted potential future business relationships that they had. Among some of his family members, bitterness would have taken root towards Jesus. They would have thought, how could he have been so selfish? He has ruined us. He's ruined our family name. And now his own mama has to flee for her life to Ephesus. 
And some would have grieved. He took his joke too far. Why was he so stupid? Why didn't he listen to us? And so to recap, Jesus's own family believed that Jesus was not of sound mind. Some even thought that he was demon possessed. Jesus's own family was openly opposed to his teachings and his kingdom movement, his parade. And Jesus's own family would have been ashamed of and angry with Jesus. And yet, not long after Jesus's death and his burial, a most peculiar letter began to circulate the Eastern Mediterranean region. And this letter, it reveals a very sudden and a very drastic shift in Jesus's family's thinking. In a message to all living Jews at that time, Jesus's brother James, he described Jesus not only as his God and not only as his Lord, but James declared that he was his brother Jesus's servant. James described himself this way. He said, I am James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And James didn't just serve the movement that his brother started. We learn from other portions of the scriptures that James planted roots among the very enemies who crucified Jesus. And he became the leader of his brother's movement in Jerusalem. And if all that doesn't sound wild enough, in a historical document from the first century known as the Jewish Antiquities, we learned that James was so committed to growing the movement, to growing Jesus's parade, that he even willingly died an excruciatingly painful death. He'd have been placed on a platform that was twice his height, that was built above rocky grounds. And with his hands tied behind his back, he would have been pushed off of that platform onto the rocky grounds. And if he didn't die from the fall, he would have had a large rock thrown onto his chest to suffocate him and to crush him. And if that blow to his chest didn't kill him, then he would have been pelted with rocks until he eventually died. And all of this happened because James was convinced that everyone needed to trust that his brother Jesus was God. The first century historian Josephus detailed it this way. Ananus, the high priest, convened the Jewish high council, the Jewish Supreme Court, the judges of the Sanhedrin, and brought them, brought before them a man named who? James, the brother of Jesus, who was called the Christ and certain others. And he accused them of the same thing they accused Jesus of, of having transgressed the law, and they delivered them up to be stoned. Y'all, my sister and my brothers, they might not be opposed to dying by protecting me. But I can guarantee you this. They would not die defending a lie that I went around telling about myself. And I can guarantee you wouldn't die for a lie that your sibling told either. Right? I love how professor of philosophy, William Lane Craig, presents just how drastic a shift in thinking this was for Jesus's family. He asked, what would it take for you to die for the belief that your brother is the Lord as James did? Now, William Lane Craig is way smarter than I am, but I want to take his question even further and I want to ask it this way to you. So think about this. What would it take 
for you to be so convinced that everyone needs to trust your sibling is God, that you would plant roots among his enemies and that you would willingly die an excruciatingly painful death. What would it take for you to be so convinced that your sibling is God, that everyone needs to trust your sibling is God, that you would plant roots among your sibling's enemies and willingly die an excruciatingly painful death to convince them. I believe for you to be so convinced to do something so seemingly senseless, you would have to experience what James and Jesus's other family members experienced. Here's what they experienced that so suddenly and so drastically changed their minds about Jesus. He was raised on the third day and he appeared to Peter and then he appeared to the other disciples, the 12. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time and then a most convincing of the proofs, he what? Appeared to James his brother. Jesus' family changed their minds because Jesus blew their minds when they saw him alive again after being brutally beaten, stabbed in his side and buried for three days. They were so persuaded by what they had seen that they had seen a resurrected Jesus that they not only became convinced that Jesus was God, that was the only explanation for what they had seen, but they no longer feared death. And they subjected themselves to it to make sure that his movement continued so that 2,000 years later, you and I would have the opportunity to believe what they believed. And so their changed minds is just one of the many reasons why we join with 2.3 billion other people to continue a 2,000-year-old tradition. And this is just one reason why you can celebrate today and celebrate every day the life Jesus promised to give us, the life that Pastor Doug is gonna talk about here in just a moment because Jesus was raised from the dead. And so with that, brothers and sisters in the chat, would you give a rowdy welcome to our lead pastor, Doug Robbins, throw in some fire emojis, throw in some high fives. I'll see y'all later. Well, as Pastor Lee gave us some compelling reasons to trust that Jesus not only lived, but he died and rose again from the dead. And you and I today can trust the documents that tell us about Jesus. And the question now is, can you and I today experience this resurrected Christ? And unfortunately, I think that a lot of people don't experience Christ today. And a lot of people have what I would call a dead spiritual life, kind of like that vintage movie, Weekend at Bernie's. Perhaps you have seen this movie or heard of it. There are these two young party guys that wanted to go and party at Bernie's exclusive beach house. But when they got there, they found Bernie was already dead. So in order to continue partying at Bernie's beach house, they carried around Bernie's dead body from party to party to make it look like Bernie was alive so they could continue the party. Have you ever felt like you were being carried around from place to place, but on the inside, you feel spiritually dead? 
So contrast Bernie with little Zoe Wong. This is Pastor Lee and his wife Christine's little girl named Zoe, and she is a picture of life. And they named her Zoe after a New Testament word for life. That is the Greek word Zoe, and it means life active and vigorous, life as God experiences it. And that is the resurrection experience that Jesus wants to give to you and I that we could experience Zoe life. Now, in case you're new with us and just starting to experience our services today for the first time, we've been in a teaching series where we've learned these spiritual lessons from elephants of all things. And we've seen that the elephants are unstoppable when they stay together in their group or their tribe or their herd. And you know the name of a herd of elephants? It's called a parade. And that's why we've said join the parade. But in light of the truth of today's scripture, we're saying join the Zoe parade. That is, join the parade of life. So could we say those four words together when I point to you out loud together? Ready? Here we go. Join the Zoe parade. Now, we're going to see this word Zoe all over the New Testament. One of the places is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, where the scripture says, God being rich in mercy because of the great mercy with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So in other words, even when we were like Bernie, we were dead. Look what he did next. He made us alive together with Christ. So he took us from Bernie to Zoe. We experience life. We express life. And he says in the last phrase there, by grace, you have been saved. And today I'm going to weave together Ephesians 2 along with what is perhaps the most important verse on life in the Gospels of the Scriptures. And this is where John says in John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. Guess what word that word life is in the Greek? It is, of course, Zoe kind of a life. And John liked to use that word Zoe so much, he used it again in another passage, John chapter 11, verse 25, where he's quoting Jesus and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Guess what word is used for live and life in John eleven twenty five? 25? It is, of course, Zoe. Now, one of the things you gotta understand is that what, uh, if you actually had a realm of life that was Zoe life that you could experience that was available to you, would you want it? If you felt like you are living a Bernie life, would you want to live the Zoe life if it was accessible to you? Would you want to awaken to the Zoe resurrection life? And part of a Zoe life is actually exercising power over the dark demonic forces in our world. And that's another thing that Jesus surfaces in John 10, 10, where he says the thief's purpose, the thief is the devil, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, right? And one of the things I learned this past week was that the word devil can be translated as to divide. That's by a Catholic 
scholar Philip Kozlowski who explains that. And then another source helps us to see that the word devil can be translated slanderer and accuser. And so does anybody besides me see evidence of our world, in our world, of slander, division, and accusation? We see a lot of evidence that the enemy, the devil, is prowling around, deceiving people, dividing people, slandering, and bringing accusations. And one of the times in my life when I experienced this in a very tangible way was many years ago when I used to do homeless ministry. And I was walking around the downtown area of the city where I was ministering at that time and living And I was prompted on the inside to go have a conversation with a man who was sitting on a park bench there in the downtown area. And I approached this man and I started up the spiritual conversation and he was glad to have a spiritual conversation. So I sat down with him. We started to talk and I was really glad that he wanted to have the conversation because I didn't want to be that guy, you know, that is approaching people randomly and forcing religion on people. And so we were having this great conversation. And just when our conversation started to really flow, this bag lady pushed her cart. She, she came right up next to us. She pushed her cart back and forth and she started yelling in, in kind of a strange voice. And she was pointing at me saying, he's a liar, he's a liar. And I thought to myself, this lady doesn't even know me. How could she know that I'm, a, you know, how does she know anything about me? How could anyone think that I'm anything more than just a harmless fuzzball, you know? And so she kept yelling. Now, when you hear bag lady. I don't want you to think this sweet little old lady with flowers coming out of her hat. I mean, you need to be thinking like part Wicked Witch of the West, part Mean Girls channeling Carol Baskin from the Tiger King. I mean, this is this lady was uh, on fire this day, and she was yelling at the top of her lungs. And then I had the thought, could it be that this is one of those demonic manifestations that I've read about in the Bible? trying to distract, to divide. And I didn't know what to do. What, what do you do? And so I decided I would just say something like what I had read in the Bible one time. And so as I looked at her, I felt this energy on the inside, kind of like baby Yoda drinking uh, one of those energy drinks. And I said to her, in the name of Jesus, I command whatever evil causes you to do this to stop and shut up now. And the bag lady actually shut up and pushed her cart down the street and eventually disappeared. And at this point, the man on the park bench was totally ready to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ because he had seen the resurrection power at work. Now, I've thought about that encounter for many, many years. And I don't have those types of experiences all the time, but I have had a few. And in another experience that was similar to that, the person who seemed to be manifesting demons actually was able to tell a friend of mine next to me a sin, a very specific sin that she had committed many years ago that she was embarrassed about. Now, if that person was faking some type of demonic manifestation, sure was doing a good job of doing it. But one of the things you got to understand about these encounters and this particular encounter that I told you about is that the real miracle there, the great thing about it was not that a demon was silenced. But the miraculous part of the story is that the man on the park bench experienced zoe 
life and invited Jesus into his life and is now experiencing the resurrection life. Now, one of the things you have to understand about Zoe life is that it's free. It's a gift that you receive. That's why Jesus said in John 10.10, this second part of the verse, he says, my purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life. Not that you have to do stuff to earn it, but to give them rich and satisfying life. Jesus is a generous giver. He's not a taker. Unfortunately, a lot of people think that they have to do a bunch of good religious deeds or do a bunch of good works to earn Zoe life. And some people in their minds have this picture of like these heavenly angels that surround us and these angels like have a phone app where they tap on their angel app every time we do something good and they tap on the angel app every time we do something bad, see? So it's like, hey, you do your Hail Marys, you get a good tap by the angel's app, right? You go to church services, you get a good tap on the angel app. You count your rosary beads, you get a good tap on the angel app app. You serve the poor or recycle your trash and you get a good tap on the angel app. But you partied too much on Friday night. You get a bad tap on the angel app, right? You said a cuss word. You get a bad tap on the angel app. You order a mangonada and you don't add chamoy. Bad tap on the angel app. And what you believe is that if you have more good taps on the angel app than you do bad taps on the angel app, then you'll somehow make it into heaven, into the afterlife. But that's not really the way the New Testament teaches it. See, the way the New Testament teaches us is that we can have Zoe life right now in this life and in the life to come as a free gift. Last week, Pastor Lee and Jake and I were eating lunch at Tito's Mexican Restaurant in Southtown, and we were near the end of our meal, and the server came up to our table and said, you know, there's no need for you guys to pay today. Your bill's already been paid. As it turns out, a generous city triber had paid for our meal secretly without us knowing so that we wouldn't have to pay. All we did is just receive the gift that was given to us. And that day, I enjoyed some heavenly enchiladas. And in the same way, you can experience Zoe life in this life and in the life to come if you'll receive it as a gift so with that in mind, how about we bow for prayer? And as we bow before the Lord, perhaps you would want to say to God in your heart and mind something like this. Look, God, I know I've sinned. And right now, the best I know how, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I welcome you into my life. Thank you for coming in. And I pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. And look, if you just invited Christ into your life, make sure and let us know about it on whatever channel you're experiencing 
this service. Also, next week, we're going to begin a brand new teaching series. If you're comfortable to come to an in-person gathering at the Cameo, great. If not, we'll still be streaming our services online. But the new series we're starting next week is called Resilient, Five Ways to Grow Resilient Through the Fires of Life. And we'll be studying chapter by chapter through the New Testament book of First. Peter. Also, I want to say a brief word about our financial stewardship or our sowing into this ministry that we regularly teach that we're to bring a first fruit tithe here at the local storehouse, the church, and you can do that in a number of different ways. You can do so by mail. You can donate online at citytribe.church slash tithe or you can text to tithe, and so you can learn all the information about being generous and sowing resources into City Tribe Church uh, online at our website, citytribe.church slash tithe. And so before you worship through your financial stewardship, if you're comfortable to, stand up and put out your hand in a position to receive, and I want to say a special Easter poem benediction that I wrote for you. So we are the elephants, and the elephants are marching in a parade, raising our tusks. We test before we trust. We study it like we must. We see the language of God in our DNA. We're bold and proud to say all atheists, agnostics, and unbelievers can come our way to question, search. We aren't just selling church merch. We know the stone was rolled away, which allows us to say he is risen. He is risen indeed. We've been freed. Our bodies are seeds planted in the ground, but we too will rise as you look on high and say, join the parade. We're parading Zoe lives of radical change. Hope is in range. No virus will stop us. We're getting on the via bus that leads us to God experience us. Some have to see before they step but the step allows us to see just how much he loves you and me. You've heard the plea to give the poor aid, to join the parade. The elephant parade will rise to live that Zoe life, to give way above the tithe, not for the preacher's pocket, but so the poor will rise like a rocket. Someday, all the crisis will pass. There will be greener grass We'll be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. Watch the sky, but keep your ear to the ground and listen for the sound of his still small voice as he leads us to give voice to those who have none. Beat the resurrection drums, sing, rhyme, and hum. He's alive, and it compels us to say, join the Zoe parade. Join the Zoe parade. You guys have an amazing Easter, and we'll see you next Sunday. Bye now. We're glad you're a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.